Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you all for joining us. This is uh, From the Newsroom, the uh, podcast presented by the Holland Sentinel staff. I'm Brian Bernelis, Digital Director at the Sentinel, and joined today by our two illustrious editors, Editor Sarah Leach, Sarah, uh, Sarah, there she is, and uh, Managing Editor Audra Gamble. Good morning, Audra. Hey. You guys had the enviable task of watching the debate last night between President Trump and candidate Joe Biden. All right. Let's hear it. Who won? <laughs> you know, I would, my, my incredibly not hot take is I think the public won. Yes. Actually, we actually time. had a debate. Yeah. It was, you know, I guess third time kind of sort of, even though there wasn't a second one's the charm. Um, it feels like when you, you know, we finally got the, the mix right. I thought, you know, we actually talked about policy, which was awesome. It didn't feel like kindergartners shouting on the playground. The moderator was awesome and she, you know, was pretty strict about time limits. And she also asked legitimate follow-up questions, which we haven't had to date yet. So I was very impressed with, with the format and the amount of, you know, very specific policy that the candidates talked about. Absolutely. I, I think, um, for the first 15 minutes, it felt like, um, like we took a step back in time to, to the days of yore where real debates happened. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I had been transported like, (laughs) uh, through some sort of a time machine. Um, and, and I think that like, even, even though I, I did appreciate a lot of the policy points that they covered, I was just so happy that this was normal. It, it's something that we just we just needed. I know that it, the election is right around the corner, but I, I'm just so happy that this was like one normal thing that we could have. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you know, we can talk a little bit about those specific policy things later on, but I wanted to touch a little bit on the, you know, the moderator, Kristen Welker, who's an NBC reporter, um, and, and also the format in which the debate occurred because, you know, we saw that, gosh, just absolute slugfest that was the the first debate where, I mean, I for real prayed for the people that were transcribing that debate because who knows who was saying what over each other. And and this time around, we had that added benefit of having um, two minutes in the start of each of the, the six, you know, topic segments where the, the opponent's microphone was shut off and, Mm -hmm. You know, to a certain extent, I do think that Kristen Welker did a wonderful job and she asked really, uh, you know, poignant questions and, and had that opportunity to do follow-ups. But she also definitely benefited from, you know, sort of that threat <laughs> from, from the candidates of, you know, be good or I'm going to turn your mic off kind of, you know, sort of 
um, rule, even though she wasn't the one that was in charge of killing the mics, it was the um, election commission, or, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, the, the debate commission. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's kind of a, a, a mix of all of those things, but I, I did just, you know, kind of want to shout out to her that she did a great job controlling the, the candidates and, you know, was very forceful when, when President Trump kept trying to edge in for more time and, you know, he always wanted to respond to everything right away and, you know, at least three or four times she just comes saying, we're moving on, we're moving on, we're, we're, we have yeah. you know, limited time, we're doing a new subject. And then she actually followed through on that, which I appreciated. Well, and then, you know, in the unplanned moments where, you know, undoubtedly one of the candidates would get a dig in on the other and, you know, try to one-up each other. And then, of course, the, the opponent would want to respond and she'd, she would say, you know, you got 10 seconds or you have 30 seconds. Um, I it took me a while to realize like maybe about a half an hour in that they actually were honoring that to, to a pretty um, fair extent. And, and they, they were, it was clear that both candidates, um, I was most impressed with uh, president Trump's ability to be able to adhere to those guidelines because he's not a very succinct speaker and he really likes to talk a little bit more open-endedly in a more campaign rallying style. And so these 30-second time slots, two-minute time slots don't really benefit him in that way. So it's clear that he did a lot more um, prep for this debate. And, and, and it moved at such a fast clip that I really wasn't even conscious because it, it actually was fairly fluid for what, for what we saw weeks ago. Yeah, and so, I mean, then, I, so then I finally go, oh, wow, this is why I like this, is that it's working the way that it should. Yeah, I mean, I do want to point out, though, that that's a pretty low bar. I mean, I know, I know, I know. Rules, like, that's, yeah, that's like, you're, you're hopping over the, you know, little bunny fence. You're, you know, this is, right, right. Be real, that it's, you know, it's not like, oh, gosh, that was a great singer, or wow, what is this thing? It was like, he followed the rules. Cool. Yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, he did. <laughs> but for him, I mean, considering right. his previous behavior, I, yeah, it's, it's just like, okay, and that, honestly, that's what allowed it to work, um, sure. is that he was, he was not as disruptive of a presence as he has been, you know, in the, in the previous debate. Yeah. Okay, so Sarah, do you want to talk a little bit about those, those policy points that we actually got to delve into a little bit last night? Well, I think, um, you know, the, the things that I remember uh, the most that I think I'm, that, that will, um, people will be talking about um, today and the days to come is that they, they really kind of delved into the the difference in approach to healthcare policy um they in, in terms of whether or not we're going to keep obamacare in any way shape or form assuming if biden were to win the presidency it's something that he wants to use as a foundational piece to to tinker with and you know his biggest criticism of president trump obviously is that the republicans want to repeal obamacare but they don't have any sort of adequate replacement and i think that's something that was uh, that really scored points for Biden in, in that is the fact that that they don't have a plan. The Republicans do not have a plan. And it's not that they don't have ideas, but they, they've never been able to come to a consensus to present something that would be palatable, would be um, something that they could get Democrats to sign on to. And I think that that's something that is really um, a, a huge issue right now. I mean, obviously we're in the middle of a pandemic and people want to know what's going to happen to their healthcare and it's going to go to the Supreme court. So then you have like all of these different layers, uh, like an onion kind of co- coalescing, um, or, or revolving around this one issue. And, um, I, I really think that that's something that Biden was able to score points on. 
Yeah. And, you know, that that segment of the debate was also one of those moments where Biden had kind of a good one line zinger thing where uh-huh. you know Trump starts talking about, you know, how, you know, he thinks the Democrats want Medicare for all and, and Bernie Sanders plan and, and Biden kind of cuts in and he goes, Trump is confused. He doesn't know who he's running against. He's running uh-huh. against me, not Bernie Sanders. I beat those other guys. And it was that was, was a great of, moment. Yeah. yeah, it was a great moment. And it was also, you know, very sound biteable of, you know, so that's something that the, the campaign can kind of build on for, for ads going forward and that sort of thing too. Um, I thought there was another, you know, kind of impactful moment like that earlier on in the debate where uh, the, the first couple of questions were about um, COVID-19 response and, and that sort of thing. And uh, President Trump started talking again about, um, you know, how, how he thinks that he um, is sort of invincible against COVID-19 now that he, he's had it and he says, um, you know, that he's immune to it, which I just want to clarify, that's not how immunity works. Um, yeah. And he said that he was cured. At, yeah. I want to caution people that that's not what cures. Right. Means, uh, yeah. Yeah. Treatment is very different than a cure. Right. Um, and there is not any, um, you know, concrete science, especially because, you know, we just haven't had COVID-19 in existence long, not, long enough to know how long any sort of immunity lasts or any sort of, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, ability to fight it off for any consistent length of time. Right. Um, and I know there's been documented cases of reinfection. Right. There have been like single, barely double digits, but, but they are, they have been found. Yeah, they exist. Yeah. Um, and, and that was, you know, one of the earlier moments where I appreciated a, a follow-up question from Kristen Welker, where um, President Trump started talking about, you know, how he thinks just in the next few weeks, there's going to be a, a vaccine rolled out nationwide. And Kristen Welker said, well... <laughs> You know, are, are you sure about that? That sounds a little unrealistic, you know, and, and you have to think too, yes, there are vaccines in the trial phase right now, but there's a really big difference between having a vaccine that, you know, is deemed effective and, and useful and then having it mass produced and distributed worldwide, especially when you talk about, you know, rural areas and, and just the scale of that is going to take a significant amount of time. But mm-hmm. Donald Trump on, on that, that follow-up question doubled down and said that, no, he's right, not the experts, that, that his timeline is, is more realistic or more accurate than, than what, you know, the medical ex- experts are saying. And, you know, those types of moments where he's presented with, you know, well, are you sure about that? And then he doubles down. I don't necessarily know that he, you know, did himself any favors in those moments where he, you know, continued to talk about disagreeing with, with Dr. Anthony Fauci and, and things like that, where it just seems sort of off kilter with, with where the public opinion is on COVID-19 response. Yeah, I think that there's, you know, there's a there's an art form to politicking, especially in debates um, in, in that kind of a format. And in the way that the way that it's supposed to work and, and the way that you're supposed to be able to, to appeal to voters to get them on your side is that you might be asked a question. Let's say you're the incumbent like President Trump and you field a question that might ask for you to account for a previous decision or actions or behavior. What you're supposed to do is you're supposed to acknowledge it in some way. Then you're supposed to spin it and pivot something where, well, here's what we're going to do, or here's something to highlight the good, or here's something that um, we're going to do next, or we learned from that experience that let's say if it was some sort of a mistake. Uh, Donald Trump doesn't really do that. Um, he, he kind of just 
like goes into this circle of, um, you know, talking about himself and, 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 you know, kind of pumps up his, his camp, which can be appealing, I suppose, to some people, but it doesn't really get into policy. It, it, it doesn't really allow him to get into any plan. I, I don't recall a single moment where he actually had a concrete plan or next steps based off of previous plans where we're going to see any kind of um, decision-making in, in, in assuming that he wins a second term. And I think that that really didn't, yeah, like you said, it doesn't help them at all. Yeah, I mean, you and I talked about, um, you know, there is definitely a shift of who is the incumbent on that stage. And I don't right. mean, literally, I mean, obviously. And, and it was hard to tell. Them. It was hard to tell. Right. <laughs> like, you know, that this was something that, you know, NBC hosted the debate and, and Chuck Todd, who's one of their commentators, talked about this right after the debate as well, that it, it very much so felt like, you know, Donald Trump is very aware that he's down in most national polls at the moment. And, and this was sort of his last chance to change that trajectory going into, you know, gosh, election day is we're, we're less than two weeks away at this point. Um, and it very much long days, (laughs) not that we're counting or anything, (laughs) um, but you know, it very much so felt like Donald Trump kept trying to attack Joe Biden on policies that, um, you know, the, the Obama administration either did or did not do, Mm -hmm. but Donald Trump is the current president. He's the incumbent. And it didn't really feel like that on the debate stage. I mean, Donald Trump a couple of times kept saying, you know, this is what these politicians do. They, you know, they do a lot of talk and a lot of, you know, not a lot of action. And I was like, oh, you're a politician now, though. Like, you're the president. Like, yes, I understand, you know, he came from an unconventional background, blah, blah, blah. But, like, you're the one in the White House. Like, I don't know that you're allowed to say you're not a politician at this point because you're the president. (laughs) Yeah, I, I... Remember the moment where Hillary Clinton got uh, name dropped, and I'm just thinking, are we really? I mean, I just don't think it, that it that it, it scores any political points. Going back to an election that is already over, yeah. Um, going back to the presidency, you know, um, that that was in, in place four years ago. Um, it, you know, people want to know what you're going to do next, and I think that that President Trump has a hard time. Um, keeping focused on the future because he wants, he wants to fight about legacy and he wants to fight about, um, how people will see him and remember him. And that's kind of the stuff that you do at the end. And so it's, I think that that's a, that's a huge challenge for him because, you know, he is, he, he's, uh, you know, he has a healthy ego, ego, let's say. Um, and I think that one of, one of the things that, that struck me as, um, classic Donald Trump is that he was really not speaking to voters. Um, in my mind, he was kind of talking just to inner circle buzzwords that, that people would, um, that are close to him would understand stories that people who are close to him would understand. It almost felt like you were getting snippets of conversations that you were never privy to. Um, but that you should just sort of be aware of. I mean, it kind of had that conversational style to it. Where, yeah. where there were a couple of things mentioned where I'm like, what is he talking about? I don't know what this is in reference to. Right. Did, did that strike you the same way? Yeah. And I, you know, I especially felt that when, when, gosh, there was a really long portion <laughs> um, where Donald Trump kept talking over and over about, you know, Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden and Russia and Ukraine and, and some emails on some laptops from like 2017. And, 
you know, I, I have to be honest, and I, I feel this is probably fairly representative of how most Americans feel at this point, that, like, I really, you know, every day <laughs> in, in the COVID-19 pandemic feels like about half a year. <laughs> and, you know, I, like, I honestly couldn't tell you what I did last week, let alone trying to focus on something that happened in 2017. So I just don't really know how effective those sorts of, you know, attacks are. And I, I think particularly this late in the game, mm-hmm. those people who have, um, you know, been steadfast Trump supporters, those people that are kind of in the know in that circle, they've cast their ballots already or, you know, are not going to sway between now and, and election day if they've chosen to vote in person. Right, right now is, is sort of the game time for the, the campaigns to focus really heavily on those undecided voters. Um, yeah, your closing message. You know, right. That, yeah. Yes. You know, not, and gosh, I mean, I'm not sure where, where these undecided voters have been. <laughs> you know, I really don't think that they exist. Years, like, man, I, <laughs> I would love to, to live in that sort of bubble of, like, lack of, of knowledge. <laughs> like, I feel like, you know, the cases have been made to a certain point, but, you know, especially those, those voters like, um, you know, suburban white women and, and um, some of those groups that made really big differences in, in 2016, that's where the message should be directed to right now to be the most effective. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know that, um, you know, Donald Trump made a really strong case for those particular groups of voters last night. Well, I'll tell you um, what, what, what I know undoubtedly will not go over well with suburban women is when they were talking about the story that broke this past week about the children, the migrant children who were separated from their parents at the border during that whole um, fiasco. And now they can't, they can't find their parents. They can't reunify the, these families. Right, over you know, 500 children, right? Yes, it's, it's an alarming amount of children. Um, and when, when President Trump said, well, you know, we're not the ones that built the cages, you built the cages, I just, it, it, and then to follow that comment up with, well, they're, well, they're very well taken care of. And it was said in that exact same tone. I Which think. is just so factually inaccurate. I mean, it was so well documented how well, proud just cold. facilities were. How, it, but it's just it's just cold. You know, it's heartless to to be quite honest. It's shocking that a president would even would would actually say that 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 to somehow insinuate that that it's okay that they're orphaned as long as they are clean and have, you know, right, they've got a food, and, food in their stomach. I, I, it just, it, like, for, as a mother, I was horrified by that particular statement. I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. I just hope that nobody would view, you know, if, if somebody, you know, were to, were to separate me from my children, I, I can't even fathom them characterizing that, that scenario that way. Yeah, and, you know, I thought that that, that sort of entrance into that portion of the debate it was very clear that this, like speaking about minority communities is an area in which Joe Biden feels very comfortable. This feels very much so in his mm-hmm. wheelhouse. Um, you know, that was one of those. Although he does where, have his flaws, you know, with, oh, absolutely. with the crime bill. Right, right. right. Um, which I appreciated, you know, being addressed in the debate last night. But, you know, that was one of the moments where, you know, Donald Trump just kept saying, who built the cages, Joe? Who built the cages? And, and Joe Biden said, listen, in my <laughs> first hundred days, you know, should I be elected? I'm going to put forth a, a policy to, 
to Congress to vote on that would give a path to citizenship for dreamers. He said that they, they owed dreamers who are um, children who were brought to the country when they were very young and, you know, have lived the vast majority of their lives in the United States. Right. Which has um, become a little bit of a political football in the, right. the between the Obama and the Trump administration. Right. Um, and you know, that those, those moments where, you know, it's kind of a lot of repetitive sort of <laughs> perhaps ineffectual zingers from, from Trump and then parried with, you know, a very concrete policy suggestion, uh, you know, just the, the, um, message difference between those things, whether you agree with Joe Biden's policy he set forth or not is a different matter, but the fact that he has a, you know, very concrete plan versus president Trump trying to just sort of shift blame from one person to another. I thought those are really stark, stark difference. And right. You know, that came up again when they started talking about the black lives matter movement and, Trump, you know, he, he started talking about how, you know, how disgusting he thinks it is that sometimes Black Lives Matter people, um, you know, chant things that are negative about police forces and, and things like that. And then he said um, he didn't know what to say to black Americans, which and he said that a couple of times, which, you know, I, I don't think that line landed very well, that he's at a loss of what to do. Um, well, and then, and then he <laughs> he said. And, and I don't think that any president should should be making these kinds of parallels. But he said, I, I'm the least racist president since Abraham Lincoln. And I'm just like, oh, yeah. And then, gosh, and then no that, one should that, be saying right. that. Yeah. No and one. then that, that kind of response from Joe Biden, where, where Joe Biden, you know, kind of points at Trump and he goes, well, Abe Lincoln over here has poured gas on every racist fire. And. Trump didn't even get the joke. Like, right. he's like I didn't say I'm Abe Lincoln. And I was like, oh, my God. It was an awkward moment. It was it's, so awkward. Yeah. So yeah. painful. I was like, oh, we can we have a new question now? Like, it yes. was so uncomfortable. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> you know, it is good that we got to talk about, you know, some specific policy. Like we said, um, you know, Election Day is right around the corner here. Um, polls open at, at 7 on November 3rd. Mm-hmm. With that kind of finish line in sight, Sarah, do you think that the debate, you know, met its purpose of of helping those undecided voters pick a side? Or do you still feel like they're maybe still in the middle after this debate? In all honesty, I think that people who are classified as undecideds in polls are probably people who just don't feel comfortable disclosing what their vote plan is. I would... I would bet money on the fact that 99% of America has already decided. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to pick between these two candidates. I think that, I think that some people are so turned off by this um, uh, election season that they're not going to vote at all. I think that some people are going to just um, do write-in candidates uh, like they did in 2016 because they also had to pick between two fairly unpopular candidates. I just don't think that, that this swayed anybody. Um, we have more than 30 million people who have already voted in the country. It, it's just, you know, and there's, there's thousands more each day. I just really think that this did not move the needle very much for anybody. I do think that, but, but yet somehow I'm still happy that it happened because like, again, I, I think that we really needed that return to baseline for us to all have hope that this can be a structured process four years from now <laughs> that there's hope that this system still works. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we just want to remind everybody, you know, if you haven't made your, your plan to vote yet, 
Um, you still have time. It's okay. Don't freak out. Um, it's just that you need to be, you know, wary of putting something in the mail right now because, you know, it, it may take a little while to get to your city hall. So um, if you haven't registered to vote yet, now we're past the moment where you can do that online. So you have to go to your um, city hall or, or county clerk, you know, whatever's relevant to you. Um, to register in person, which you can still do, and then you need to request that absentee ballot in person and also return it in person. Or, of course, show up to the polls on Election Day. Um, so I would um, also encourage people to go to our website, townsend.com, and search for Know Your Vote. We've been doing this. Uh, we've teamed up with League Women Voters and have been writing about how various processes of, uh, of the election work and what your rights are as a voter, um, what to expect at the polls, that sort of thing. So that is uh, information that you can use. Absolutely, yeah. And there's a lot of down-ticket races, you know, in Ottawa and Allegan County, too, that deserve your attention. Um, we've got, you know, a pretty important jud- judgeship that's up for grabs in Ottawa County. We've got quite a few millages on the table, school boards. So, you know, if you're wondering, you're feeling a little overwhelmed when you got that ballot in the mail, We've got lots of guides for, for um, different different races that are going on, and we've interviewed a lot of those candidates. So um, use us as a resource. That's what we're here for, voters. Absolutely. And we'll have one big overall wrap, roundup of what to expect on your ballot um, before Election Day. So stay tuned. Is this where I come in and wrap it up? I think it is, Brian. You know, I ask one question, and you guys just run with it. I love being a host <laughs> on these podcasts. Sorry, Brian. That's all right. Uh, on behalf of Sarah Leach and Audrey Gamble, I'm Brian Vernellis. We all work the Holland Sentinel. Thank you for joining us. Catch us next time. And maybe we'll have a pub show for you next time. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.